Episode Two of The Flaming Jewel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Flaming Jewel by Robert W. Chamber. Episode Two: The Ruling Passion. One. Nobody understood how Jose Quintana had slipped through the secret service net spread for him at every port. The United States authorities did not know how Quintana had come to America. They realized merely that he arrived for no good purpose, and they meant to arrest him and hold him for extradition if requested, for deportation as an undesirable alien anyway. Only two men in America knew that Quintana had come to the United States for the purpose of recovering the famous Flaming Jewel, stolen by him from the Grand Duchess Theodorica of Estonia and stolen from Quintana in turn by a private soldier in an American forestry regiment on leave in Paris. This soldier's name probably was Michael Clinch. One of the men who knew why Quintana might come to America was James Dara, recently of military intelligence, but now passing as hold-up man under the name of Hal Smith, and actually in the employment of Clinch at his disreputable hotel at Star Pond in the North Woods. The other man who knew why Quintana had come to America was Emmanuel Sard, a Levantian diamond broker of New York, Quintana's agent in America. Now, as the October days passed without any report of Quintana's detection, Dara, known as Hal Smith at Clinch's dump, began to suspect that Quintana had already slid into America through the meshes of the police. If so, this desperate international criminal could be expected at Clinch's under some guise or other, powdered thither by Emmanuel Sard. So Hal Smith, whose duty was to wash dishes, do chores, and also to supply clinches with mountain beef or deer taken illegally, made it convenient to prowl every day in the vicinity of the Ghost Lake Road. He was perfectly familiar with Emmanuel Sard's squat features and parrot nose, having robbed Mr. Sard of Quintana's cipher and of $4,000 at pistol point. And one morning, while roving around the guide's quarters at Ghost Lake Inn, Smith beheld Sard himself on the hotel veranda in company with five strangers of foreign aspect. During the midday dinner, Smith, on pretense of inquiring for a guide's license, got a look at the inn ledger. Sard's signature was on it, followed by the names of Henry Pickett, Nicholas Salzar, Victor Georgias, Harry Beck, and Jose Sanchez and Smith went back through the wilderness to Star Pond, convinced that one of these gentlemen was Quintana, and the remainder Quintana's gang, and that they were here to do murder if necessary in their remorseless quest of the Flaming Jewel. Two million dollars once had been offered for the Flaming Jewel, and had been refused. Clinch probably possessed it. Smith was now convinced of that, but he was there to rob Clinch of it himself for he had promised the little Grand Duchess to help recover her erisite jewel. And now he had finally traced its probable possession to Clinch. He was wondering how this recovery was to be accomplished. To arrest Clinch meant to ruin Eve Strayer. Besides, he knew now that Clinch would die in prison before revealing the hiding place of the flaming jewel. Also, how could it be proven that Clinch had the erisite gem? The cipher from Quintana was not sufficient evidence. No, the only way was to watch Clinch, prevent any robbery by Quintana's gang, somehow discover where the flaming jewel had been concealed, take it, and restore it to the beggared young girl whose only financial resource now lay in the possible recovery of this almost priceless gem.
Toward evening, Hal Smith shot two deer near Owl Marsh. To poach on his own property appealed to his sense of humor. And Clinch, never dreaming that Hal Smith was the James Dara who had inherited Herod's vast preserve, damned all millionaires for every buck brought in and became friendlier to Smith. Clinch's dump was the disposal plant in which collected the human sewage of the wilderness. It being Saturday, the scum of a north woods was gathered at Star Pond Resort, a venison and chicken supper was promised, and a dance if any woman appeared. Jake Clune had run in some Canadian hooch. Dara, alias Hal Smith, contributed two fat deer, and Clinch cooked them. By ten o'clock that morning, many of the men were growing noisy. Some were already drunk by noon. Shortly after midday dinner, the first fight started, extinguished only after Clinch had beaten several of the backwoods aristocracy insensible. Towering amid the wreck of battle, his light gray eyes aglitter, Clinch dominated, swinging his iron fists. When the combat ended and the fallen lay starkly where they fell, Clinch said in his pleasant level voice, Take them out and stick their heads in the pond, and don't go for to get me mad, boys, or unliable to act up rough. They bore forth the sleepers for immersion in Star Pond. Clinch relighted his cigar and repeated the rulings which had caused the fracas. You gotta play square cards here, or you don't play none in my house. No living thumbnail can nick no cards in my place and get away with it. Three kings and two trays is better than three chickens and two eggs. If you don't like it, go on home. He went out to his shirt sleeves to see how the knockouts were reviving, and met Hal Smith returning from the pond, who reported progress towards consciousness. They walked back to the hotel together. Say, young fella, said Clinch in his soft, agreeable way, you want to keep your eye peeled tonight? Why? inquired Smith. Well, there've been a lot of folk here. There'll be strangers, too. Don't forget the straight troopers are looking for you. Do the straight troopers ever play detective? asked Smith, smiling. Sure. They've been in here rigged out like peddlers and lumberjacks and timber lookers. Did they ever get anything on you? Not a thing. Can you always spot them, Mike? No, but when a stranger shows up here who don't know nobody, he never sees nothing, and he don't ever learn nothing. He gets no hooch out of me. No, nor no craps and no cards. He gets his supper. That's what he gets. And dance, if there's ladies. And if any girl favors him, that's all the change any stranger gets out of Mike Clinch. They had paused on the rough veranda in the hot October sunshine. Mike, suggested Smith carelessly, wouldn't it pay better to go straight? Clinch's small gray eyes, which had been roaming over the prospect of lake and forest, focused on Smith's smiling features. What's that to you? he asked. I'll be out of a job, remarked Smith, laughing, if they ever land you. Clinch's level gaze measured him. His mind was busy measuring him, too. Who the hell are you, anyway? he asked. I don't know. You stick up a man in the Ghost Lake Road and hide out here when the state troopers come after you, and now you ask me if it pays better to go straight. Why didn't you go straight if you think pays? I haven't got a daughter to worry about, explained Smith. If they get me, it won't hurt anybody else. A dull red tinge came out under Clinch's tan. Who asked you to worry about Eve? She's a fine girl, that's all. Clinch's steely glare measured the young man. You trying to make up to her, he inquired gently. No, she has no use for me. Clinch reflected, his cold tiger gaze still fastened on Smith. You're right, he said after a moment. Eve's a good girl. Some day I'll make a lady of her. She is one, Clinch. 
At that, Clinch reddened heavily. The first finer emotion ever betrayed before Smith. He did not say anything for a few moments, but his grim mouth worked, finally. "'I guess you was a gentleman once before you went crooked, Hal,' he said. "'You act up like you once was. "'Say, there's only one thing on God's earth I care about. "'You've guessed it, too.' He was off again upon his ruling passion. "'Eve,' nodded Smith. "'Sure, she isn't my flesh and blood, but it seems like she's more, even. "'I want she should be a lady. It's all I want. "'That damn millionaire Herod bust me. "'But he couldn't stop me giving Eve her schoolin'. Now all I'm livin' for is to be fixed so's to give her money to go to the city like a lady. I don't care how I make money. All I want is to make it, and I'm goin' to. Smith nodded again. Clinch, now obsessed by his monomania, went on with an oath. I can't make no money on the level after what Herod done to me, and I gotta fix up Eve. What the hell do you mean by asking me would it pay to travel straight? I don't know. I was only thinking of Eve. A lady isn't supposed to have a crook for a father. Clinch's gray's eyes blazed for a moment. Then their menacing glare dulled, died out into wintry fixity. I want born a crook, he said. I ain't got no choice. And don't worry, young fella. They ain't a-gonna get me. You can't go on beating the game forever, Clinch. I'm beating it, he hesitated. And it won't be so long, neither before I turn over enough to let Eve live in the city like any lady, with her automobile and her own butler and all her swell friends, and a big house like she is educated for. He broke off abruptly as a procession approached from the lake, escorting the battered gentry, who now were able to wobble about a little. One of them, a fox-faced trap thief named Earl Leverett, slunk hastily by as though expecting another kick from Clinch. "'Go on inside, Earl, and act upright,' said Clinch pleasantly. You oughter have more sense than that start a fight in my place. You and Sid Hone and Harvey Chase, go on and behave. He and Smith followed the procession of damaged ones into the house. The big unpainted room where a bar had once been was blue with cheap cigar smoke. The air reeked with the stench of beer and spirits. A score or more shambling forest louts in their dingy Saturday finery were gathered there playing cards, shooting craps, lolling around tables, and tilting slopping glasses at one another. Heavy pleasantries were exchanged with the victims of Clinch's ponderous fists as they re-entered the room from which they had been borne so recently, feet first. "'Now, boys,' said Clinch kindly, "'act up like swell gents and behave friendly. And if any ladies come in for chicken supper, why, gall dang it, we'll have a dance.' Three. Towards sundown, the first woodland nymph appeared, a half-shy, half-bold, willowy thing in the rosy light of the clearing. Hal Smith, washing glasses and dishes on the back porch for Eve Strayer to dry, asked who the rustic beauty might be. Harvey Chase's sister, said Eve. She shouldn't come here, but I can't keep her away, and her brother doesn't care. She's only a child, too. Is there any harm in chicken supper and a dance? Eve looked gravely at young Smith without replying. Other girlish shapes loomed in the evening light. Some were met by gallants. Some arrived at the veranda unescorted. Where do they all come from? Do they live in trees like dryads? asked Smith. They're always squatters in the woods, she replied indifferently. Some of these girls come from Ghost Lake, I suppose. Yes, waitresses at the inn. What music is there? Jim Hastings plays a fiddle. I play the melodeon if they need me. What do you do when there's a fight? he asked with a side glance at her pure profile. What do you suppose I do? Fight too? He laughed mirthlessly, conscious always of his secret pity for this girl. Well, he said, 
When your father makes enough to quit, he'll take you out of this. It's a vile hole for a young girl. See here, she said, flushing. You're rather particular for a young man who stuck up a tourist and robbed him for four thousand dollars. I'm not complaining on my own account, returned Smith, laughing. Clinch suits me. Well, don't concern yourself on my account, Hal Smith, and you better keep out that dance, too, if there's any strangers there. You think a state trooper might happen in? It's likely. A lot of people come and go. We don't always know them. She opened a sliding wooden shutter and looked into the bar room. After a moment, she beckoned him to her side. There are strangers there now, she said. And that thin, dark man who looks like a Canuck? And those two men shaking dice? I don't know who they are. I never before saw them. But Smith had seen them at Ghost Lake Inn. One of them was Sard. Quintana's gang had arrived at Clinch's camp. A moment later, Clinch came through the pantry and kitchen and out onto the rear porch, where Smith was washing glasses in a tub filled from an ever-flowing spring. I'm a-going to get supper, he said to Eve. There'll be twenty-three plates. And to Smith, Hal, you help Eve wait on the tables, and if anybody acts up rough, you slam him in the jaw. Don't argue, don't wait. Just slam him good, and I'll come on the hop. Who are the strangers, Dad? asked Eve. Don't nobody know em a none, girlie. But they ain't state troopers. They talk like they was foreign. One of them's English, the big bony one with the yellow hair and mustache. Did they give any names? asked Smith. You bet. The stout dark one calls himself Hungry Picket. French, I guess. The fat beak is a fellow named Sard. Sanchez is the guy with a face like a Canada priest. Jose Sanchez, or something on that style. And then the yellow-skinned young man is Nicole Salzar, a Britisher. Harry Beck, and that good-looking dark gent with the little black Charlie Chaplin, he's Victor Georgiatis. What are those foreigners doing in the North Woods, Clinch? inquired Smith. Oh, they all give the same spiel, hire out in the lumber camp. But they ain't no lumberjacks, added Clinch contemptuously. I don't know what they be, hooch runners maybe, or booze bandits, or they done something crooked, summers other. It's safe to serve em drinks. Clinch himself had been drinking. He always drank when preparing to cook. He turned and went into the kitchen now, rolling up his shirt sleeves and relighting his clay pipe. 4. By nine o'clock, the noisy chicken supper had ended. The table had been cleared. Jim Hastings was tuning his fiddle in the big room. Eve had seated herself before the battered melodeon. Ladies and gents, said Clinch, in his clear, pleasant voice, which carried throughout the hubbub, we are going to have a dance. Thanks and beholden to Jim Hastings and my daughter Eve. Eve, she don't drink and she don't dance, so no use asking and no hard feeling towards nobody. So act up pleasant to one and all and have a good time and no rough stuff and no form, shape, or manner, but behave like gents all and swell dames like you was to soiree on Fifth Avenue. Let's go. He went back to the pantry, taking no notice of the cheering. The fiddler scraped a foxtrot and Eve's melodeon joined in. A vast scuffling of heavily shod feet filled the momentary silence, accented by the shrill giggle of young girls. They're off, remarked Clinch to Smith. He stood at the pantry shelf, preparing to serve whiskey or beer upon previous receipt of payment. In the event of a sudden raid, the arrangements at Clinch's were quite simple. Two large drain pipes emerged from the kitchen floor beside Smith and ended in Star Pond. In case of alarm, the tub of beer was poured down one pipe, the whiskey down the other. Only the trout and star pond would ever sample the hooch again. Clinch, now slightly intoxicated, leaned heavily on the pantry shelf beside Smith, adjusting his pistol under his suspenders. 
"'Young fella,' he said in his agreeable voice, "'you're dead right. "'You sure said a faceful when you says to me, "'Eve's a lady, by God. "'You ought to know. "'You was a gentleman yourself once. "'Even if you take to sticking up tourists, "'you know a lady when you see one, "'and you call a turn. "'She is a lady. "'All I'm living for is to get her down to the city "'and give her money to live like a lady. "'I'll do it yet, soon. "'I'd do it tomorrow, tonight, if I dared, "'if I thought it sure fire.' If I was dead certain I could get away with it, I've got the money now. Only it ain't money, Smith. Yes, Mike? You know me. Sure. You size me up. Sure. I do. All right. If you ever tell anyone I got money that ain't money, I'll shoot you through the head. Don't worry, Clinch. I ain't. You're a crook. You won't talk. You're a gentleman, too. They don't sell out a pal. Say how. There's one fella I don't want to meet. Who's that, Mike? Let me tell you, continued Clinch, resting more heavily on the shelf, while Smith, looking out through the pantry shutter at the dancing, listened intently. When I was in France, in forestry regiment, went on Clinch, lowering his always pleasant voice, I was to Paris on leave a few days before they sent us home. I was in the washroom of a café, cleaning up for supper, when da-bang! Into the place comes tumble, and a man with two cops pushing and kicking him. They didn't see me in there, for they locked the door on the man. He was a swell gent, too. A full dress, a silk hat, and all like that. And an operating cloak, and white kid gloves, and mustache, and French beard. When they locked him up, he stood stock still and lit a cigarette, as cool as ice. Then he began walking around, looking for a way to get out, but there wasn't no way. Then he see me, and over he comes, and talks English right away. Want to make a thousand francs, soldier? says he in a quick whisper. You're on, says I. Show your dough. Them flicks has went to get the commissary for to frisk me, says he. If they find this parcel on me, I do twenty years in Nomia. Five years kills anybody out there. What do you want I should do? says I, have no love for cops, French or other. Take this packet, stick it in your overcoat, says he, go to 13 Rue Quinza, October, and give it to the concierge for Jose Quintana. And he shoved the packet on me in a thousand-franc note. Then he grabs me sudden and pulls open my collar. God, he was strong. What's the matter with you, says I? Let me go, or I'll mash your mug flat. Let me see your identification disc, he barked. Being in Paris for a bat? I'd exchange with my bunkie, Bill Hansen. Let him look, thinks I, and he reads Bill's check. If you fool me, he says, I'll follow you, and I'll do you in it if it takes the rest of my life, you understand? Sure, says I, me tongue in me cheek. Bon, allez-vous un, says he. How the hell, says I, do I get out of here? You're a Yankee soldier. The flicks don't know you were in here. You go and kick on that door and make a holler. So I done it good, and the cops opens and swears at me, but he sees a Yankee soldier was locked in the washroom by mistake, and he lets me out, you bet. Clinch smiled a thin smile, pouring out three fingers of hooch. What else? asked Smith quietly. Nothing much. I didn't go to no Rue Quinn's October, but I don't never want to see that fella Quintana. I've been waiting till it was safe to sell what was in that packet. Sell what? 
"'What was in that packet?' replied Clinch thickly. "'What was it?' "'Sparklers, since you're so nosy.' "'Diamonds?' "'And then some. I don't know what they're called. All I know is I'll croak Quintana if he ever turns up asking for him. He frisked somebody. I frisked him. I'll kill anybody who tries to frisk me.' "'Where do you keep them?' inquired Smith naively. Clinch looked at him, very drunk. No yo dang business, he said very softly. The dancing had become boisterous, but not unseemly, although all the men had been drinking too freely. Smith closed the pantry bar at midnight by direction of Eve. Now he came out into the ballroom and f mixed affably with the company, even dancing with Harvey Chase's sister once, a slender hoden, all flushed and disheveled, with a tireless mania for dancing which seemed to intoxicate her. She danced, 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 accepting any partner offered, but Smith's skill enraptured her, and she refused to let him go when her beau, a late arrival, one Charlie Berry, slouched up to claim her. Smith, always trying to keep Lynch and Quintana's men in view, took no part in the discussion, but Berry thought he was detaining Lily Chase and pushed him aside. "'Hold on, young man,' exclaimed Smith sharply. "'Keep your hands to yourself.' your girl don't want to dance with you, she doesn't have to. Some of Quintana's gang came up to listen. Barry glared at Smith. Say, he says, I've seen you before somewhere. Wasn't you in Russia? What are you talking about? Yes, you was. You was an officer. What you doing at Clinch's? What's that? growled Clinch, shoving his way forward and shouldering the crowd aside. Who's this man, Mike? demanded Barry. Well, who do you think he is? asked Clinch thickly. I think he's getting the goods on you. That's what I think, yelled Barry. Go on home, Charlie, returned Clinch. Go on, all you. The dance is over. Go peaceably. Everyone, stop that fiddle. The music ceased. The dance was ended. They all understood that. But there was grumbling and demands for drinks. Clinch, drunk but impassive, herded them through the door out into the starlight. There was scuffling horseplay, but no fighting. The big Englishman, Harry Beck, asked for accommodations for his party overnight. Nah, said Clinch, go on back to the inn. I can't bother with you folks tonight. And as the others, Salazar, Georgiatis, Paquite, and Sanchez gathered about to insist, Clinch pushed them all out of the doors in a mass. Get the hell out of here, he growled and slammed the door. He stood for a moment with head lowered, drunk, but apparently capable of reflection. Eve came from the melodeon and laid one slim hand on his arm. Go to bed, girlie, he said, not looking at her. You also, Dad. No, I got business with Hal Smith. Passing Smith, the girl whispered, You look out for him and undress him. Smith nodded, gravely preoccupied with coming events and nerving himself to meet them. He had no gun. Clinch's big automatic bulged from under his armpit. When the girl had ascended the creaking stairs and her door above closed, Clinch walked unsteadily to the door, opened it, fished out his pistol. Come on out, he said, without turning. Where? inquired Smith. Clinch turned, lifted his square head, and the deadly glare in his eyes left Smith silent. You comin'? Sure, said Smith quietly. But Clinch gave him no chance to close in. It was death even to swerve. Smith walked slowly out into the starlight, ahead of Clinch, slowly forward in the luminous darkness. Keep going, came Clinch's quiet voice behind him. And after they had entered the woods, bare to the right. Smith knew now. The low woods were full of sinkholes. They were headed for the nearest one. On the edge of the thing they halted. Smith turned and faced Clinch. What's the idea, he asked without a quaver. Was you in Russia? Yes. 
Was you an officer? I was. Then you're spying. You're a cop. You're mistaken. Ah, don't hand me none of that. You're a state trooper, or a secret service guy, or a plain, dirty cop, and I'm a-going to croak you. I'm not in any service now. Wasn't you an army officer? Yes. Can't an officer go wrong? Soft stuff. Don't feed it to me. I told you too much anyway. I was babbling drunk. I'm drunk now, but I got sense. Do you think I'll run chances of sitting in state prison for the next ten years and leave Eve out here alone? No. I gotta shoot you, Smith. And I'm a-going to do it. Go on and say what you want, and think if there's some kind of oh God you can square before you croak. If you go to the chair for murder, what good will it do Eve? asked Smith. His lips were crackling dry. He moistened them. Sinkholes don't talk, said Clinch. Go on and square yourself, if you're a church kind, Clinch said unsteadily. If you kill me now, you're as good as dead yourself. Quintana is here. Say, don't hand me that, retorted Clinch. Do you square yourself or no? I tell you, Quintana's gang were at the dance tonight. Paquite, Salazar, Georgiatis, Sard, Beck, Jose Sanchez, the one who looks like the French priest. Maybe he had a beard when you saw him in that cafe washroom. What? shouted Clinch in a sudden fury. What you talking about, you poor dumb dingo? You fixed to scare me? What do you know about Quintana? Are you in a Quintana's gang, too? Is that what you're up to, hiding out at Star Pond? Come on now, out with it. I'll have it all out of you now, Hal Smith, before I plug you. He came lurching forward, swinging his heavy pistol as though he meant to brain his victim. But he halted after the first step or two and stood there, shadowy bulk, growling, enraged, undecided. And as Smith looked at him, two shadows detached themselves from behind Clinch, silently, silently glided behind, struck in utter silence. Down crashed Clinch, blackjacked, his face in the ooze. His pistol flew from his hand, struck Smith's leg, and Smith had it at the same instant and turned it like lightning on the murderous shadows. Hands up, quick, he cried, at bay now, and his back to the sinkhole. Pistol leveled, he bent one knee, pushed Clinch over on his back, lest the ooze suffocate him. Now, he said coolly, what do you bums want of my Clinch? Who are you, came a sullen voice. This is none of your bloody business. We want Clinch, not you. What do you want of Clinch? Take your gun off us. Answer, or I'll let go at you. What do you want of Clinch? Money, what do you think? You're here to stick up Clinch, inquired Smith. Yes, what's that to you? What has Clinch done to you? He stuck us up, that's what. Now, are you going to keep out of this? No, we ain't going to hurt Clinch. You bet you're not. Where's the rest of your gang? What gang? Quintana, said Smith, laughing. A wild exhilaration possessed him. His flanks and rear were protected by the sinkhole. He had Quintana's gang, two of them, over his pistol. Turn your backs and sit down, he said. As the shadowy forms hesitated, he picked up a stick and hurled at him. They sat down hastily, hands up, backs toward him. You'll both die where you sit, remarked Smith, if you yell for help. Clinch sighed heavily, stirred, groped in the damp leaves with his hands. I say, began the voice, which Smith identified as Harry Beck's, if you come in with us on this, it will pay you, young man. No, drawled Smith, I'll go it alone. It can't be done, old dear, you'll see if you try it on. Who will stop me, Quintana? Come, urged Beck, and be a good pal. You can't manage it alone. We've got all night to make Clinch talk. We know how, too. You'll get your share. Oh, stow it, said Smith, watching Clinch, who was reviving. He sat up presently and put both hands over his head. 
Smith touched him silently on the shoulder, and he turned his heavy square head in a dazed way. Blood striped his visage. He gazed dully at Smith for a little while. Then, seeming to recollect, the old glare began to light his pale eyes. The next instant, however, Beck spoke again, and Clinch turned in astonishment and saw the two figures sitting there with back towards Smith and hands up. Clinch stared at the squatting forms, then slowly moved his head and looked at Smith and his leveled pistol. "'We know how to make a man squeal,' said Harry Beck suddenly. "'He'll talk. We can make Clinch talk. No fear. Leave it to us, old pal. Are you with us?' He started to look around over his shoulder, and Smith hurled another stick and hit him in the face. "'Quiet there, Harry,' he said. "'What's my share if I go in with you?' One six, same as we all get.' "'What's it worth?' asked Smith, with a motion of caution toward Clinch. "'If I say a million, you'll tell me I lie. "'But it's nearer three. "'Or you can have my share. "'Is it a go? "'You'll not hurt Clinch when he comes to. "'We'll make him talk, that's all. "'It may hurt him some. "'You won't kill him. "'I swear by God. "'Wait, isn't it better to shoot him after he squeals? "'Here's a lovely sinkhole handy.' Right-o, we'll make him talk fast, then we'll shove him in. Are you with us? If you turn your head, I'll blow the face off you, Harry, said Smith, cautioning Clinch to silence with a gesture. All right, only you better make up your mind. That cove is likely to wake up now at any time, grumbled Beck. Clinch looked at Smith. The latter smiled, leaned over, and whispered. Can you walk all right? Clinch nodded. Well, we'd better beat it. Quintana's whole gang is in these woods. Somewhere, hunting for you, they might stumble on us here, at any moment, and the two men in front, lie down flat on your faces, don't stir, don't speak, or it's you for the sinkhole. Lie down, I tell you. That's it. Don't move till I tell you. Clinch got up from where he was sitting, cast one murderous glance at the prostrate forms, then followed Smith noiselessly over the stretch of sphagnum moss. When they reached the house, they saw Eve standing on the steps in her nightdress and bare feet holding a lantern. Daddy, she whimpered, I was frightened. I didn't know where you had gone. Clinch put his arm around her and turned his bloody face and looked at Smith. It's this, he said, that I ain't forgetting, young fellow, what you done for me, you done for her. I gotta live to make a lady for her, that's why, he added thickly. I'm much obliged to you, Hal Smith. Go to bed, girlie. You're bleeding, Dad. Ah, Twig scratched me. I've been in the woods with Hal. Go on to bed. He went to the sink and washed his face, dried it, kissed the girl, gave her a gentle shove towards the stairs. Hal and I are sitting up talking business, he remarked, bolting the door and all the shutters. When the girl had gone, Clinch went to the closet and brought back two Winchester rifles, two shotguns, and a box of ammunition. Going to see it out with me, Hal? Sure, smiled Smith. All right, have a drink. No. All right. Well, you set. Anywhere. All right, sit over there. They may try the back porch. I'll just sit here a spell, and then I'll kinder mosey round, plug the first fellow that tries a shutter, Hal. You bet. Clinch came over and held out his hand. You said a faceful that time when you says to me, Clinch, you says, Eve's a lady. I gotta fix her up. I gotta be a lot to do it. That's why I'm greatly obliged to you, Hal. He took his rifle and walked slowly toward the pantry. You bet, he muttered. She is a lady, so help me God. End of episode two.